It is such a joy to know that God is in control. It is such a blessing to know that, that, that we are his children, that he really, really does want the best for us, that he really does know what is best for us, and that he's working out a plan that, that brings him glory and honor and, and provides for us the, the life that we were made for. You know, when, when we're living in that, we're, we're thriving. That's what we're talking about this year. We're talking about thriving. And today we finished the series, Thriving in Difficult Days. We're not done with Nehemiah. We've got Nehemiah through Easter. Uh, we're gonna look at Nehemiah from a, from a different perspective beginning next week as we look at the opportunities that God gives us. But today we wanna finish talking about the, the, the ability that we have as God's children to be a thriving people in, in difficult days. It's so crucial that we understand what it means to be a thriving people. Thriving doesn't mean we have everything we want. Thriving doesn't mean that we're comfortable and, and, and everything's funny and, 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 and just always happy, happy, happy. No, thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's command while, while trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. It's knowing that God is our father. It's knowing that what he says is best. It's doing what he says because he said it to the praise of his name and trusting the outcomes to him. He's going to work. He's going to move. He's going to accomplish it. And we're going to have difficult days. We're going to have challenges. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. We see a man who is thriving in difficult days. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go with me now to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter two. When we left off last week in verse eight, Nehemiah had seen his prayer answered. If you'll remember, he had gotten word about the condition of Jerusalem and he began to pray with his friends. Prayed for four months, asking God to, to provide. And the Lord did provide. Look in verse eight, go to, go to verse eight. This is where we finished last week. This is where we wanna kick off this week. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah's very specific prayer was answered. The, the resources were provided because, now look why. Why were those resources provided? Because the good hand of my God was upon me. What we're gonna see in our text today is what we are to do knowing that the good hand of God is upon us. Today we're gonna to learn how to be wise with, with God's resources, with what God provides, with the provisions that he places in our lives. Now understand, just because we got God's stuff and we've got God's calling and, and, and God is with us, it's gonna be easy. Think about, here is Nehemiah, look what he's got. He's got the blessing of the king, he's got the power of the king, he, he's got the provision of the king, but it's not, it's not as though he doesn't have problems. I mean, here we are as Christians, and what do we have? We have the blessing of the grace of Jesus. We, we have the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We have the, we have the provision of God the Father. But friends, we're, we're still gonna have problems. We're still going to face difficulty. It may be because we're the children of God that things are so hard for us. It may be because we are children of the light that the darkness is coming back. And so here's what we have to do. We have to fight. We have to fight every day. Now, that, that's a very dangerous word and I know that. 
So I want to be sure that, that you understand. We understand what the Bible means by fighting. Fighting biblically, that's not hurting other people. God does not call us to harm other people. He may call us to defend ourselves, but he does not call us to harm people. That, that's one of, the, it's one, of the, it's one of the things that the church did in the last, the last millennium. It's just causing harm to other people. That's not the will of God. Now, when we're fighting, here's what we need to understand. We're not fighting other people. We're fighting spiritual powers that manipulate people, including us. We're fighting against powers that manipulate. Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We, we fight against darkness. We, we fight for the faith. Jude 3. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We fight for the faith and the cause of Christ in the world. And we fight for our souls and the souls of others. 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, to fight well, we have to be wise. Our text today shows us how to, how to be wise, how thriving people are to be wise in these difficult days. Let's go now to Nehemiah chapter two. Our text for today is verses nine through 11. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. I'm gonna read verses nine through 11. We're gonna finish with 11 today. We're gonna start with 11 next week. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Nehemiah two, beginning in verse nine. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Senballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Guys, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Nehemiah had been preparing. Now he prayed for a long time. Now he's been preparing for about four months for this trip. There's a lot to do. Um, you know, he, he had to, first of all, go to Asaph and he got to get all the timber for the walls that they were going to build and the, and the construction projects in, in, in connection with the temple. He also had to go get those soldiers that were promised and he had to get them organized, make sure they understood what they were going to be doing, what, what they were going to be about. And he had to get those letters notarized that the king was going to send. And then it was about a thousand miles through very hazardous terrain that he had to travel with this motley crew uh, of Jews and Babylonian soldiers. What an odd sight that must have been to some of those folks. And so this was not something that just happened overnight. I mean, you look from verse eight to nine, you see that little space? That's four months. It went by so quickly for me. How about you? So this is a four-month period. He's, he's getting all of his stuff together. And, and these kinds of trips, they, they take provision. They, they take time. They, they, we've got to be patient. Nehemiah also knew what he was walking into. You're in Nehemiah. Go left. Go back to Ezra chapter 4 real quick. Understand that when the remnant went back to Jerusalem, as God said and promised that they would, 
those folks building the altar and building the temple, they faced opposition to. Nehemiah knew that there was going to be opposition to what he was about to do. So look there in, in, in Nehemiah chapter, I'm sorry, Ezra chapter four. Look, look right real quick through verses four through seven. Look at the challenges that, that were there. Look in verse 12. Nehemiah knew this. He knew what was going on. He knew that the same darkness that was going to press up against him had pressed up against them. So he wasn't naive. He knew these were going to be difficult days, but he had prepared. He had prayed. He had God's provision. He was walking into this fully aware. Uh, let's go back to chapter two of, of, of Nehemiah now. And, and what I want you to realize what's happening. Look, look back again. Look at Nehemiah chapter two. Look at verses nine through 11. Understand what, what's happening. This is not a vacation that Nehemiah is on. This is a mission trip. He's going on a mission trip. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but every trip I've been on, it's taken a lot of time to prepare, a lot of uh, time to pray, a lot of time to get provisions. We're so blessed at Living Hope to have a missions office. You know, whether it's been India or Africa or, or Europe or, or China, wherever I've gone, wherever we've gone, it's, it's, we've been able to go, first of all, because of the gift for Christ. And thank you who are so faithful to give to the gift for Christ but also because we have provisions, we have partners. We, we, have, we have Nora Hubbard, amen. Mother Hubbard has been so good and, 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 and Pastor Clay, we, we have all these blessings. And, and here's Nehemiah, he's had all these blessings and he's walking into this, 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 this big moment, but he's gonna have to be wise. And friends, here's, here's what we gotta get, this is what we gotta understand today. Just because we, we've got God's blessing, just because we've got the, just because the, the, there's, there's stuff there and God's saying, we gotta be wise because there are enemies that are gonna press against what we're doing. And, and I want you to know the wisdom that we're talking about this morning. The Bible, the Bible has so many ways of describing wisdom. You know, you've got Old Testament wisdom literature, it's mentioned in the New Testament, different ways of thinking about, we're talking about godly wisdom today. Godly wisdom is the ability to understand and apply to everyday life God's eternally true perspective and priorities revealed in the scriptures. Godly wisdom is knowing the word of God and seeing our circumstance through the lens of God's sovereign care and applying what God's word says to our circumstances and our decision making. That's godly wisdom. And that's what Nehemiah showed. We need to learn to walk in godly wisdom and godly wisdom so that we can thrive. And, and Nehemiah gives us insight into how. There's some things I want to encourage you to take note of this morning. So take note of these. Thriving people wisely step into God's opportunities. These are opportunities. Stepping into God's opportunity is basically saying, okay, God, I trust you. And look at verse nine. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. And I think what a moment this must have been for him. I mean, he's prayed for months. He's prepared for months. He's traveled for months. I can remember when I stepped off an airplane in India. First time. Oh, the stench enough was to make me want to go back home. It was hot. It was a humid hot. And it stunk. And then there was just, there was so many people. And immediately, and they, they told us to prepare for this. I was not prepared for the children begging. I wasn't prepared for the people grabbing the baggage, begging us and then getting 
very angry when we didn't give them our luggage and, and having to have all of our possessions, all of our passports, all of our money, everything tucked within, within you know, pockets, within pockets, within pockets because of thieves. It was overwhelming. I remember getting off the plane in Africa, same heat, dry heat this time, hot, just dust everywhere. And, and just like, whoo. And then knowing that we were going to go in the middle of nowhere. I remember going and, and driving through China. And I remember talking with the, the hosts and, and them saying, okay, remember um, what we're here to do. You're here as tourists. If you get picked up, you don't need to know where you're staying. Uh, no, we did know where we were staying. He said, you don't need to know the city you're going or the people you're meeting with because if they ask you, you need to be able to say, honestly, I don't know. So when they send you home, if, if, what, if our activities are discovered, you can, you can go home, but you won't, you won't reveal and put into danger our partners. And then going into Greece, going into uh, Europe, going into other countries where there were friendly faces. There was just a lot of confused people not understanding the gospel and the excitement of seeing Living Hope Church plants all over the region and talking to those pastors. I imagine Nehemiah walked out in, in that, that new situation, very excited, but very overwhelmed, not knowing what was ahead, knowing that God had sent him and knowing that it was gonna be hard. Friends, you got to know this. God's opportunity is not always going to be easy. It's, it's not always going to, it's not always just going to kind of fall into place. If you are a child of light, there will be a darkness that comes against you. It's not always going to be safe. Broken, hurting people hurt people. They lie about you. They lie to you. They hurt. It's not always going to be fun. It will often be exhilarating, but God's work is often hard and frustrating and listen, disappointing. It's not always convenient. We're always going to have to make sacrifices. Listen, it's never convenient to keep the nursery. All right. It's, it's not always convenient to work with teenagers. It's not convenient to, to, to go through parent class. It's not convenient to go to your office and tell people about Jesus. It's not convenient. It's not always easy. It requires sacrifice to be a student in this day and age and stand for Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. It's not always going to be simple. We got to trust God though. And don't think, there's always these two. I, I remember training a pastor once. And actually, it was two different pastors, two different statements. One, one pastor said, you know, I just don't know if I'm called to be the, a pastor. And I said, why not? And he said, well, I'm afraid I might really like it. I know God wouldn't want me to do something I like. What kind of church you've been raised in? You know? And, and then an, an, another one was like, oh, yeah, I definitely am called. I said, well, how do you know? He said, because I, I don't want to do it. It's going to make me miserable because I'm sure that's what God wants for me. God's will is not always the easy path, nor is it always this miserable life. God's will is God's will. And there are going to be good days and bad days. There's always going to be God's presence. There's always going to be God's provision. And, and, and we just need to, to walk with the Lord. Here's how you know God's will. You know his word. And you apply his word in your decision making, in your situation. And over time, the Lord leads you. And as warriors for Christ, we got to be willing to do anything. 
We have to be willing to say, okay, God, send me. But here's what God does. In time, as we study the word and as we pray and as we step out in faith into the opportunity, God shows us what we can do best for his purpose. And it's not always what we think. For instance, last week, I thought I could wash some clothes. It seemed easy enough. I mean, we have a machine. It's not like I went down to the river or something, right? But after putting the stuff in there and starting the machine, I I did forget to put the cat back on the detergent. And I did put the whole bottle on the edge of the washer, which moves, by the way. And so when I got back from walking Charlie, this was what happened. So I can't go to the laundry room anymore. Big deal. I'm gonna tell you what I can do. I can carry loads and loads of laundry up and down those steps. I know that. I can change any light bulb in our house right now. And I can kill bugs, y'all. Spiders are my specialty. So if you need a spider killed, call me. Laundry. I tried dishes once. I'm just good at breaking stuff. I'm a mule. I carry heavy things and break things. That's what I'm good at. I have discovered that over time doing God's will. And here's what will happen with you. As you apply the word of God to your life's circumstances, trusting and obeying God, he will show you what you're good at. He will show you what he wants you to do. He'll also show you what you shouldn't do. And over time, you'll get this sense of, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And the more you do that, here's what happens. It's so humbling. It's so humbling to realize that, that this is God. This is grace. Can I, can I, let me get you to think about something for just a moment. You're sitting in, 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 this, in your pew, in your seat, if you're at home, you're sitting right, and you're listening to me preach. How much, how much, how many... How, how gracious has, been, has God been to you to get you to the point where you're sitting right where you are right now? Think about all the pieces of provision that the Lord has placed in your life to put you right where you are right now. Isn't that humbling? To think, I, I, it's not that I was smart enough to be here. It's not, it's God birthed me into the family that put me among the friends that gave me the opportunity that led me to the, it's God. And it's humbling, and it should be humbling. Take note of this. Thriving people wisely act with godly humility. It's godly humility. Nehemiah didn't walk up in Jerusalem proud. He walked in giving the king's letters. He didn't walk up saying, aren't y'all glad I'm here? He's like, uh, the king sent me. It's not because he was powerful. It's not because he was impressive. It's because his king was. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Nehemiah was not there in his strength. Again, real quick glance, look at verse eight. Why was he there? For the good hand of my God was upon me. As God's people, we have to understand, we are sent into this world to serve God's purpose, God's way, and God's strength. Christians are sent people 
John 20, 21, Jesus said this, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. We are sent with one overarching responsibility. And that is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age to make disciples. We are to take the word of our King to the world and attack the darkness. Look, Nehemiah came with the King's letters as God's children, as Christians, we are sent with our King's letters. They're called scripture. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, God's word, the scriptures tell us who we are, who God is, what we are to do, and how. We've been given the king's letters. And Nehemiah came, how? With officers of the army and horsemen. We too are sent by God with the army of God. That's called the church. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates, we are fighting up against gates. We are on the attack. We are on the move. We have been sent. And what are we to do? We are to set captives free. Those who are trapped in darkness, we are to bring the love and the light of Christ that they might be freed by the power of the gospel. The church is God's army. We are members of it. We have his authority and our place in his army because of God. Nehemiah didn't roll up in Jerusalem and say, I'm here. Aren't you glad? He rolled up in Jerusalem and said, I have letters and authority. We walk into every day of our life saying, I have letters and God's authority in my life in the power of the church. I have God's people. I have this provision. And it's all because of God. It's not because we're strong. It's because God's strong. I have a, a pastor who's kind of well-known and this antagonistic person came to his church and he's kind of needling a little bit. And he said, well, I guess you're the main man in charge here. And he said, nope. He said, I'm the pointer. So what do you mean you're the pointer? He said, I point to the main man in charge and that's Jesus Christ. We're all pointers. We're here to point everybody to Jesus Christ, the main man in charge. It's not that we're in charge. It's not that we have power. It's not that we're cool. It's not that we're great. It's that Jesus is cool. It's that Jesus is powerful. It's that Jesus has this plan. It's, it's so liberating just to serve Jesus. There have been so many times in my life, in my ministry in particular, where I thought, Lord, you need to send somebody else. I have thought regularly at different intervals that I needed to step down and step out of ministry because I, I genuinely thought, Lord, there's someone smarter and way more successful that needs to be in this spot. I'll just step down and God has to constantly remind me, boy, I didn't choose you because of you. I chose you because of me. And the Lord reminds me, and I want to remind you of this, all God's children, every Christian, just like Nehemiah, every one of us 
is a turtle on a fence post. If you ever walk up on a farm and you see a turtle on a fence post, there's something very important that you need to know. He did not put himself there. Someone more powerful than he picked him up and put him on that fence post. Now, what a great view, right? But here's what you can know. He didn't put himself there. Here's what you can know, Christian. You are where you are because God has put you there. God has picked you up out of your sin. He has washed you clean. He has gifted you with his spirit. And he's put you right where he wants you to fight for the faith. He has sent you to that school. He has sent you to that job. He has sent you to that marriage. He has sent you to that home. He has sent you to that neighborhood. He's put you right where he wants you. And it's not because you're strong. It's because he is. And that's so humbling. And it's so liberating. Psalm 68:35. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. God has given us all we need in his word, in his church, in his spirit. And now we can say like the apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, uh, the life I live in the flesh, in this broken world, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This humility, it prepares us for the battles that we are to fight. As Christians, we should never be surprised by the battles. We should anticipate hostility. Write it down. Thriving people wisely expect ungodly hostility. It's going to be there. Verse 10, when Senbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Friends, we have to constantly remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual war zone. So long as we are alive on this broken planet before Jesus Christ returns, we are in a spiritual war zone. J.I. Packer said this, we have an enemy who hates us and will do anything possible to frustrate the plans of God. When you see Satan's fingerprints on events, it is safe to bet that Satan himself is, is actively present even if he carefully keeps himself out of sight. We think of Satan as our spiritual enemy, and so he is. But we need to realize that the reason he hates humankind and seeks our ruin is because he hates God, his and our creator. The devil is not a creator, only a destroyer. He is a fallen angel, the archetype instance of good gone wrong. And and now he seeks only to thwart God's plans, wreck his work, rob him of glory, and in that sense, triumph over him. When God initiates something for his praise, Satan is always there trying to keep pace with him, planning ways of spoiling and frustrating the divine project. There were three men that we'll read about in Nehemiah that served as agents of Satan. Two of them are mentioned here. The first one is Sanballat. It's a Babylonian name. He apparently married a prominent Jewish woman and was probably the governor of Samaria. Tobiah, that's a Hebrew name. He he apparently made some connections and and is probably the governor of Amnon. And so these two small men have a small province where they have some small power and they don't want to lose it. That's what happens with small people. 
Rather than seeking something bigger and better and beyond themselves, they want their own stuff. They want their own power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. That's what's wrong with our country is that we have too many people not willing to serve. One of the great problems in American democracy is that we have people who can stay in power for so long and lie to us and manipulate us to get everything they want and use us and we never know about it till it's done. So these two small men, they're gonna use their power to try to manipulate and keep Nehemiah from doing God's work. Friends, we need to expect if we're doing God's work, there's gonna be ungodly, ungodly hostility. But we do our work. And what is our mission? To impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. We are to fulfill our mission, Jeremiah 29, 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Look back in verse 10. What was Tobiah and Sanballat mad about? That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Someone asked me recently, why, why, why is there so much turmoil and why are there so many attacking the things of God? You know, you, you take something as simple as, as understanding that there are biological men and biological women and that marriage is to be a covenant between a biological man and a biological woman who God willing can have children who will then raise up to be biological men and biological women who will enter into a covenant of marriage and have families and they will all care for each other and love each other. Why, why is it we're living in a world where we're being told, no, 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 don't say that someone is a male or a female. No, 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 don't define marriage that way. No, 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 don't, don't, don't try to put those, those kind of rules in place. No, 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 we need to destroy all that. We need to, we need to forget all that. We need to drop all that. We, we've got to be enlightened. It's a new day. We, we, we're progressive. Can I tell you where the destruction of the family leads us? It leads us into anarchy and destruction. Boys and girls, obey your parents in the Lord because in that you'll find your blessing. Mom and dad, love each other in Christ and raise your children to love Jesus. Here's the thing. There are three things that bring God, God's blessing. Faith in Jesus, families for Jesus, and philanthropy with Jesus. And what do we see our world seeking to destroy right now? Faith in Jesus, family for Jesus, and even philanthropy for Jesus. Because you mark my words, they will soon say, if you do not give in to the sexual revolution, we're going to start taxing you. We don't want to hear your message. It, it is not acceptable. And friends, we must stand. And after Easter, when we get into our articles of faith, we're gonna talk about that stand. But what we need to know right now is it's gonna, there's gonna be ungodly hostility. And so to make it, to make it, we're gonna have to have tenacity. So take note, thriving people wisely move forward with tenacity. So he knew that there were people that were mad. And there he was, he says, for three days. And we're going to pick up here in verse 11 next week. But what I want you to realize is that he's waited for months to get to this moment. And he's waiting for three days. And if we know anything about Nehemiah, he's praying and he's preparing. And here's what he's doing. He's saying, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. 
This is going to be hard. Okay, I'm going to go out today. No, it's too hard. I got to pray. This is going to be hard. He's preparing because he knows it's going to be hard. He's going to have to be tenacious. I remember in 1992, I gave up. I gave up football. I, I gave up my plans. I, I, I entered into the ministry and I went to my first pastor's conference. And, and I, I just knew it was going to be great. And I was going to come out all fired up that, that they were going to tell me that I was great and that this was going to be wonderful and fun. And the keynote speaker was John Maxwell. And his message was, it's the grind that gets you. And what he basically said is, if you're a minister, you've entered into the most difficult and painful life there is. It's real upper, real encouraging. (laughs) But I'm so glad I heard that message because he said, because it's hard, it's great. And if you're gonna make it, you're gonna have to have tenacity. Tenacity is the ability to be persistent in pursuing what is most important. You know what's good? Being comfortable is good. You know what's good? Having everybody like you. Don't you you like it when everybody likes you? When you go in places, nobody gives you the stink eye. People don't see you and go, oh boy, here he comes. You know what's good? It's to be comfortable. It's to be well-liked. It's to be problem-free. You know what's best? Is to serve God's purpose with your one and only life for the eternal glory of the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. You know what is the enemy of the best? The good. You know what's good? It's being comfortable and problem-free and everybody liking you. You know what's best? is serving God with your one and only life for his glory in the name of Jesus. You can't have them both. You can have what's good or you can have what's best. And if you're gonna choose what's best, it's gonna take tenacity. You're gonna have to say, I'm going for it. Listen, the devil hates us all, but he particularly hates baptized believers. He hates people who put the uniform on. He hates people who say, you know what? I'm with Jesus. And when you're baptized, you make that public profession of saving faith. My old life is over. I'm dead. I'm standing for Jesus. I'm on his team. It's going to take tenacity to stay there, to fight. And that's what we're called to, to fight for the glory of God with our life and what he's called us to do. And you can only do that if you're thriving. Friends, are you thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands, all the while trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. You cannot be a thriving person if you're not in Christ. And you cannot be thriving if you're not, if you're not living in godly wisdom. So let's pray. Father God, I know there are some here who are not thriving because they are not Christians. They've not repented and believed the gospel and they're on their own. So Lord, I pray that right now that some will be saved. And if you need to be saved right now in your heart, tell God that you've sinned. Tell God that you believe Jesus died for your sins and ask the risen Christ to lead your life for his glory.
Some of you are baptized believers. You've said, Lord Jesus, you're my God, you're my king. I'm gonna obey you, I'm gonna follow you. But if you're honest, you're frustrated and you're disappointed because your life's not easy. You're, you're tired and you're, and you're weary because things aren't going the way you want them to. Friends, you're in a fight. Why don't you ask God to strengthen you? Why don't you tell God, I'm gonna trust you and obey you no matter what it costs me. I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna obey you. If there's sin in your life that's causing pain, you need to repent of that so that you can walk freely in the will of God. Won't you do that right now? Repent of your doubt. Repent of your sin. Renew your commitment to Christ. Trusting his will for your life. Oh, Father God, you never said it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, you said it was going to be difficult. You said in this life, we will have tribulation, trouble. But you told us to take heart because you have overcome the world. And so we have the freedom to walk wisely with godly wisdom in difficult days to be a thriving people. So God bless us to do that, to be a thriving people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.